Okay. Uh, that tenor is really high. Yeah. Could not get there. So God bless you if you sing tenor when we hit that song. That bad boy. Woo! Yeah, PC kid. Yeah, really. Mm. Felt like I was a teenager again. The voice was cracking and... PC Connect on December 11th, that is for uh, visitors that would like to be members here. So if you'd like to be part of the Preston Crest family, uh, there's information on the inside cover of the bulletin about PC Connect. And many of us have gone through that, and uh, we'd love to have you as part of our family here at Preston Crest. So check that out and join us. It's a two-hour time commitment. We will respect your time and get you out uh, after second service and about 2 p.m. So... There's that. Tonight, we'll be continuing with the Do You Know My Name series, and that'll, I think this will be the last installment uh, tonight, at least for a while, as we go into some other, the children's Christmas program, which I'm excited about, the loaned manger, and then next week, of course, is the deacon installation. So, All right, you can follow along on version or follow along in the bulletin as well as we continue our series, Take It In. The Ganges is one of the world's longest and highest volume rivers. The Ganges is considered sacred by the Hindus, and it stands at the center of cultural and spiritual life in India. It's also one of the most polluted (laughs) rivers in the world. Garbage, industrial waste, animal cadavers all come together downstream in the Ganges to clog up the river, and it contains over a hundred times the legal limit of pollution allowed in a river by the Indian government. So, yeah. By the time it gets down to the population centers of India, its waters are poisonous, essentially, uh, and, and diseased and cause a lot of death. Then there's this Ganges, same river, just way, way, way upstream, 1,500 miles to be exact. Uh, the Ganges is sourced by these icy, clean, pure Himalayan glacier runoff waters. And what a difference those 1,500 miles make, right? Uh, it's that mileage that takes this great river from purity to pollution, from purity to poison, something magnificent and pristine and life-giving becomes so lethal the farther you get away from the source. And in this series, Take It In, what we've been doing is we've been going to God, who is the source of all of the virtues that human beings admire, justice and truth, love and mercy, so many of those virtues. Um, Now, these things we do get to see And we do get to appreciate to greater and lesser extents in this world. We get glimpses of goodness. We get flashes of wisdom, even here in this sinful world. But only in God, only by going to the source, do we see the virtues that we love and admire in their purest forms. And so this morning, this journey continues that we're on as we go up to the source of that greatest and deepest longing of the human heart, our longing to love, our longing to be loved. God, He's the source of love. 
And in this world, it is a joy to be able to get some glimpses now and again of love. When a, when a new mother gazes into the face of her infant son or daughter for the first time, when a young bride and groom stand up in a, in a place like this and exchange courageous, beautiful vows of love before friends and family. We get a glimpse of love there. When we see, uh, perhaps at the mall, you see an elderly couple walking together hand in hand. We get glimpses of love in this place. But we also get to see, right, we get to see much more polluted versions of love. The heartbreak of betrayal. The shattered dreams of separation and divorce, deep wounds of sexual abuse, shallow and addictive lust of pornography. Here in this world, in the distant downstream, love can become so polluted, so corrupted that it's unrecognizable and vile. When the polluted versions are all that you know, you become jaded, you become hard, you become cynical when it comes to any talk about true love. And so this morning, let's let's go together. Let's go upstream to the source. Let's go back to God. This is from 1 John chapter 4, verses 16 to 18. It is at the top of your outline this morning. We know how much God loves us. And we have put our trust in His love. God is love. God is love, and all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. As we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment but we can face Him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Now, John is often called, and I think appropriately, the love apostle because he's always talking, always writing about love. And this morning, I think one of the challenges for us as believers, as worshipers of God, one of the challenges is that we gather together not just to talk about love, not just to gather information or new insights about love, but that, but that we can break free to experience God's love and to share a relationship based on that love with the Father. G.K. Chesterton, who went from being an atheist to a Christ follower, once said that sometimes our worship is more of a theory than a love affair. More of a theory than a love affair. I think he's right. I think that can happen. And so imagine, if you will, two people who are deeply in love with each other. Their passion consumes their thoughts throughout the day and their dreams at night. They can't stop thinking about each other. To people like that, it's not so important which restaurant they choose to go to on date night. 
And it's not as important which movie they select to, to watch together at the theater. Because the food tastes better when they are together. And the relationship that they share is bigger than any of the particulars, than any of the circumstances that they may find themselves in. And that is the way it should be for us as worshipers of God. Whether the worship leader picks golden oldies from the hymn book or leads us in the latest worship choruses from from Hillsong or Chris Tomlin, what matters, it's not that. Those things aren't all that important. What matters is that we have the opportunity to express how we feel, to express our gratefulness, to express our debt of love to the one who has redeemed us and set us free. Whether the preacher is on or off on a particular Sunday, not all that important. A worshiper is less concerned about the particulars, the trappings of tradition, and a worshiper is more in tune with the heart of the one who called them from darkness to light. They come to worship in truth and spirit. Worship in truth without spirit is a cold and cruel thing. Worship in truth and spirit is a beautiful thing. Now let me share with you four love letters from that text we just read from the love apostle from John. So let's start with the letter A. A. It starts with this. I acknowledge that God is, by nature, love. That he is the source of love. All that the poets write about, all that the musicians sing about, all the plot lines of of the great love movies, the stories that we watch on the silver screen, God is really the source of that. As John says in verse 16, God is love. He is love. There is no lofty idea of what love is. There is no expression of love without God. It starts with Him. And this isn't to say that you have to believe in God to love someone or that you have to believe in God to experience love any more than you have to believe in God in order to breathe the air that He has gifted you with or the food that He provides You can still enjoy it. You can still get a taste of it. But John flatly affirms God is love. It is His nature. He is that spring out of which love comes and flows into our world. Acknowledging that He is the source is important. It is important because it keeps my heart from getting hard. And getting cynical when I'm hurt by the polluted forms that I experience in this world. God is love. It is important because it takes the words of Virgil the poet, love conquers all, and it makes them a promise that I can believe in because God is love. It's important because 
Even when I don't particularly feel like loving, I can keep right on loving because my heart is constantly being fed by the source. God is love. But John doesn't stop there with this acknowledgement that he's the source. It all comes from, from God. He takes us from the ideal to the personal, from the cosmic to the intimate. So B is believe. Believe. Believe that his love for me is personal and real as demonstrated by his sacrifice on the cross. It gets very personal there. As he says in verse 16, we know how much God loves us. We know that. We may wonder about other people sometimes, but we know how much God loves us because Jesus takes that perfection, that purity, that love that may seem a thousand miles away sometimes, and he pours it into the lives of broken sinners like us. As John wrote a chapter earlier, 1 John chapter 3, verse 16, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, for you and for me, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. So a feature of living in the here and now is that, yeah, from time to time we experience the polluted versions of love in our world in very personal ways, in hurtful ways. But here's the thing. We also, John reminds us, we experience the unpolluted, unadulterated, uncontaminated love of God in our personal lives because Jesus gave his life to rescue us. Why did he do that? For God so loved the world. He did it for love. He did it because of his great love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten. And unlike the, the lesser versions that poison our world, God doesn't love me because of who I am. God loves me because of who he is. Right? It's agape. It's unconditional. It is no strings attached he doesn't love me because of who I am. He doesn't love me because I am particularly lovable. He loves me because He has chosen to love me. He, the source of love, has chosen you and I to be the objects of His love. And so these lesser loves, these contaminated versions that we are so familiar with here, we got to earn those, don't we? You know, your boss... Oh, your boss loves you because you hit those sales quotas every month. Man, I just love you, man. Man, your girlfriend loves you when you remember her birthday with a special gift. Others love you because of how talented you are or how attractive you are or how funny you are. But then there's the cross. No strings attached. Agape. Jesus loved you and gave his life for you. Not because of your goodness, not because you got your act together, not because you merited that love in any way. As Paul writes in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, God showed his great love for us 
by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. His love for you wasn't about how righteous you were. It wasn't about how, it wasn't about any of those metrics that are used in this world. Your intelligence, your talent, your attractiveness, none of that. Because of Jesus and because of his choice to sacrifice himself on the cross, each of us has received the purest, most undefiled love that exists. We have been on the receiving end of the strongest, most potent version. That's the gospel. He showed his great love for us on the cross. Now, none of this is to say that the other versions that we experience are not authentic. They aren't real. It's not to say that. It's just that the gospel, it offers us the chance to drink the purest waters, to drink from the source, the unconditional agape that God has for us. And this gives you some idea, I think, of why it grieves God, why it hurts Him when His love is rejected. The cross is the greatest demonstration of love He could have possibly given to you. He saw your selfishness and your sin, and He took all that ugliness on Himself to set you free. And that, well... For those who say yes to the gospel, that changes them, doesn't it? So this is the letter C. Commit to show others around you the love that you have experienced from God. Commit to show others. Live in love. He says in verse 16, all who live in love live in God. And the truth is, when the river of God's love flows into your life, you'll be swept away by the current. You won't be able to hold on. You'll become not only a reservoir of God's love, storing it up for yourself, but it will blast through the walls and overflow into the world around you. His love will flow through you. His love will irrigate and nurture and change every relationship that you are involved with, whether it's someone you know well or some stranger you meet. As John says, live in love. This past week, as I was writing this lesson, I was thinking about Monday here at Preston Crest. I was thinking about the thousands of dollars, I don't know how much money, was spent by y'all to buy food for neighbors around us who you don't even know so that they could have a great Thanksgiving. And then others who showed up Monday to get to know these neighbors and to, to, ha to hand off that food and a blessing to those neighbors. Well, that's the overflow. That's what overflow looks like. It's the dozens, the, the many of you who will sit down this week with one of our international neighbors here in Dallas. And you'll help them improve their English a little bit. And at the same time, you'll share the gospel with them. That's the overflow. 
all of us are changed by the gospel. We're more kind and gentle and forgiving with those we come into contact with. That's the overflow. Now, the world, you know this, it divides, right? It divides us according to all sorts of lines. Whether you have money or not, whether you're black or white, whether you're It divides by politics, right? It divides by religion. It divides by gay or straight. It divides all the time. It sets up boundary lines. You're in my group or you're not in my group. And through us, through the holy church of God, that love from God flows right over the walls that people build. And that's the overflow. Now, here's the final letter this morning. The letter D, it's about desire. Desire more than anything. To draw near to God. To draw near to God. John says, as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. The the closer we get, the more we love, and the more we feel the love of God, the closer we get to God. And so worship, yeah, if you're not a believer, worship is kind of weird. It's weird to wake up early on a Sunday morning. You could be doing a lot of other things and to load up. Maybe even you had to wash the kids and feed them before you came if you're a young parent and come all the way to Preston Crest and worship with these folks. And that's a little bit weird if you don't know God. But to the worshiper, it's not weird. It's not irrelevant. Worship is irresistible. It is something we have to do. Eugene Peterson said, Worship does not satisfy one's hunger for God. It whets our appetite. Here in a couple of minutes, we're going to sing a song that was written uh, a long time ago, back in the 1800s, by a woman named Frances Crosby. Fanny, as she was known, once shared a story about how very early in life she lost her eyesight. She said, when I was six weeks old, I was taken sick, and my eyes grew weak, and those who had charge of me put an ointment on my eyes She wrote, their lack of medical knowledge and and skill destroyed my sight forever. As I grew older, they told me I should never see the faces of my friends, the flowers of the field, the blue of the skies, or the golden beauty of the stars. Soon I learned that I was missing out on what other children possessed. But I made up my mind to store away a little jewel in my heart, which I called contentment. And when she was eight years old, she wrote this poem. Oh, what a happy soul I am. Although I cannot see, I am resolved that in this world contented I will be. How many blessings I enjoy that other people don't. To weep and sigh because I'm blind, I cannot 
I won't. And so she went on to write Blessed Assurance and thousands, literally 5,000 hymns she wrote to God. Unbelievable. Because this fire, this love for her Savior burns so deeply in her heart. And someone once, I like this story, someone once asked her, Fanny, do you wish you had not been blinded? And she answered in her typical style, well, the good thing about being blind is that the very first face I will ever see will be the face of Jesus. And this morning, if you've come someone burned and betrayed by the lesser loves that you've experienced, my hope and prayer is that you will commit to heading upriver, that you will commit to drawing close to God and find that love that will last forever, a love like no other. And if you are a believer, but your relationship with the Lord has kind of gone stale, has kind of gone cold, my prayer and my hope is, is that you will open up not only to words about God's love, ideas, concepts, theology about God's love, but that you will open up to experience that passion of experiencing nearness with one who loves you more than any other. One who gave up his precious son to save and rescue you. May the Spirit rekindle that passion in your heart. And maybe you need to come to God this morning through Christ for the first time. If you're ready to receive his love, ready to receive that forgiveness, and to give your life to Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you can do that. You can be baptized into Christ this morning. Maybe you just need prayers this morning. However we can help you with that, please, let's be standing together and let's worship God. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a
this word. Speak this aloud with me. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with all of you. And the church said, Thank you for joining us today in our worship here at the Preston Crest Church of Christ in Dallas, Texas. You may be coming today.